And that lets you save Who cares? True form life. Green look on the Welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia. All right, thanks so much for joining me on this edition of the show. I always appreciate your time to see what we have going on. And let me get into that. Before I do, I just want to ask you briefly here for a ratings and review on iTunes. So if you get a chance, it only takes a moment. I love to hear feedback. I'm always looking to improve the show. So if you get a chance, all you have to do is head over to iTunes, look for Exploring Mind and Body, and you can leave a a short ratings and review. That'd be fantastic. So thank you for that consideration. Just before I jump into that show, I want to tell you about MAK Mystic Expressions. Now, this is a Himalayan salt company that specializes in pink salt. Well, personally, I feel this is a small transitioning moving from white refined salt to pink Himalayan salt that will improve our lives. So if you head over to makmystic.com, they have a number of information, products like salt lamps, salt shakers, heat bags, grinders, all kinds of different products and information to help you better understand how pink Himalayan salt can improve your health. makmystic.com. Sit back and enjoy. This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. Tell me more about what you're doing and give me some of your background into getting into endurance running. Then, of course, we'll get into mitochondrial disease. And Yeah, you, you know, it all started, I would say, when I was a young kid. I, I loved sport and uh, my parents were, were active. I, I grew up in a small town in Newfoundland. Uh, and I could walk out my back door and I had trails that went everywhere. You know, we, we hiked and would ski to go fishing and, you know, it just, it was just a way of life of just being active in the outdoors and, you know, boating, fishing, those types of things. So, uh, and I played hockey as a kid, but we had, I grew up in a small town of 2000 people, you know, every year, a bunch of hooligans would vandalize our rink. And, and finally the town said, you know what, we're, we're not fixing it up anymore. So, uh, and sport, you know, I just always loved sport and hockey. I had the dream of playing in the NHL like every other kid who put on a pair of skates. Uh, but after that, I thought, well, what am I going to do next? And that, ironically, at that time, we had a new teacher move to our community who was a cross-country skier and started a cross-country ski club. So I... Uh, we had always skied just to, you know, just like I said, just more functionally to, uh, you know, to get out and enjoy the outdoors. So we signed up for the Jackrabbits, lo- local Jackrabbit ski club that, that uh, Mr. Green had started up. And from there, I, I just fell in love with skiing and the funny thing was i was awful at it and i remember uh, we traveled to the first first race it was called the cyanet which was about uh, an hour drive from from the town i grew up in and i remember and we had like crappy old wooden skis and gear like we had no <laughs> idea how to do anything right but you know we we're, were there and i remember doing the race and my ski kept falling off and i think i finished pretty close to last but <laughs> you know it was just but I, you know it's one of those things ingrained to me and it's just I thought I can do better. Like I knew that I, I enjoyed it and I thought I can do better. And so again, I, you know, I, I kept, you know, I kept, you know, skiing more and, you know, we'd, we'd go to more of these events uh, and eventually got some better skis. 
and actually started racing, uh, you know, more around the province. And I, and I just fell in love with the sport. I just love that movement of, you know, moving through the outdoors on skis in the winter. I mean, I love the winter. And so it kind of all grew from there. And then, uh, I had a French teacher through my high school, uh, who was, who was a real, he was a big runner. And he said, Blaine, if you're going to be a good skier, you need to be a runner. And I hated running. I mean, it hurt. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't fun. Uh, so I eventually kind of signed up the cross country running team and the track and field team to, to do a bit of running. But, you know, I, I had to force myself to do it. Um, so it was always sort of a necessary evil as a skier to stay fit that you had to train in the off season. So that was kind of my, my introduction to running. Uh, and I did do some some running races through high school and then some cross-country running through through university and a, a few odd races here and there. Um, and then when I moved out west uh, about 17 years ago to, to Calgary, uh, I wanted to climb mountains. My my dream at that point was to become a, a high-altitude mountaineer. Uh, I really wanted to get into backcountry skiing. I, I wanted to explore you know, the, the, the mountains and travel to the big mountain ranges uh, of the Himalayas and the Andes and, and that type of thing and, and climb. But uh, I'm fascinated with climbing, read a lot about, you know, big expedition climbing. So I realized that that your your speed and skill in the mountains is probably your biggest safety, your greatest safety net that you have. Um, so, you know, I, I would run up mountains. And so instead of, you know, so to me, it was more purposeful than just running down the road going, hey, am I done yet? <laughs> but, you know, there's all these trails in the mountains you can, you know, that are two or three day hikes, you can go run them in a day. Uh, so, so I, you know, kind of cut my teeth in the mountains, um, you know, climbing as many peaks as I could and uh and got more into technical climbing alpine climbing um and it wasn't until um we had kids that i realized the amount of risk of, of climbing and it doesn't matter how good you are uh, there's a lot of uh, objective hazard out there that just you know if you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time you know it could be an avalanche it could be rock fall uh you know it could be anything like that that could you know could take your life so that's when i started running more just for day-to-day fitness yeah, it's convenient you know, obviously with a with a family you have less time in your life and you know a pair of running shoes is simple right you put them on you can go you can run anywhere um, but it wasn't until about eight years ago to be honest Drew, when, when my son Evan got sick with mitochondrial disease that it was a it really kind of stared me in the face how important it was to relieve stress and running was the most accessible thing for me to do to, to relieve that stress. So at, at that point in time was, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to sign myself up for every <laughs> local trail running rate. I mean, I love running on trails and exploring the outdoors. So that was when I basically signed up for a whole bunch of local uh, running races through like five peaks, which is a local uh, running trail race series uh, and really learned to run and, and fell in love with running. So when you said, so the main reason that you kind of started running, I suppose, running the long distances locally at the beginning is to reduce stress? Yeah, yeah, definitely to, to reduce stress. And uh, like I said, I, I never really enjoyed running that much. Um, so initially was to, was to reduce stress. And then, you know, that, that year would have been back in 2008 when I 
had started running more. I, I'd already run a couple ultras at that point, but I was just dabbling. I was just experimenting. You know, I just like, hey, what's it like to run 100K? I went and did it, but I wasn't running that much. It's <laughs> certainly in retrospect compared to what I'm doing now. It's kind of kind of silly, right? It's like, man, what were you thinking? <laughs> sucker, <laughs> sucker for punishment, right? Uh, but at that point in time and the other the other piece that was really cool is I, I met some amazing folks who were part of the running community and and that's where um you know it was sort of a i guess a a blessing in disguise where um you know that people have you know that the people we met uh, i would say through those first couple of years of running has become you know my my social network of, of folks i hang out with mostly today and and uh you know met some amazing people and and over the years we've you know we've we've you know run consistently together we've traveled to races you know all over north america together and yeah so it's sort of a yeah it's it's been great yeah that's pretty cool yeah, I think everyone's looking for something like that in some way. But maybe you didn't do it on purpose. But I think we all want to feel like we're we're a part of a team, or we're part of whether it's a movement or a exercise group. I think it it means so much to push forward health, fitness, reduce stress, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and at that time as well, uh, one of the guys I met, uh, his name is Duncan Marsden, and he had just moved here from the UK, and there's a really strong club community in the UK when it comes to running, and uh, so he started up a, a group called the Bow Valley Harriers, and so again, it was just like this completely informal running group, but it, it was just a way to, to pull runners together locally here. And, you know, we entered, you know, a lot of relays together, these that type of thing. So we create a real camaraderie within the running group. Um, Cause prior to that, I didn't really know anyone who, who was, you know, ran that much. Right. So, I mean, I ran with a couple of guys at work at lunchtime and stuff, but aside from that, I didn't know anyone in the running community. So that kind of really brought us together. And then when my son Evan got sick in 2008 and, and in 2009, when we found out he had mitochondrial disease and we started Mito Canada, uh, and then we realized how sport is a great platform as well for bringing people together to, you know, to compete for a greater cause. And that was, again, another element that just helped snowball bringing, bringing people together um, to, you know, to, to help raise awareness for, for Mito Canada and, and, and that disease. All right, so I want to tell you about the Silver Fern Aesthetic and Vein Clinic. Now, they specialize in a few areas. One is skin care. They'll tell you the difference between professional skin care and over-the-counter skin care. This is something that they specialize in as well as offering education to their customers and clients. Mineral makeup is one of their non-toxic type of products. They have no talc, perfume, dyes, alcohol, or anything else that may clog your pores. They also specialize in varicose and spider veins. I actually have had the opportunity to stop in there and they helped me better understand who's more likely to get them how to treat them and even how to prevent them and then they also offer detoxing products and services such as their universal contour wrap they offer a clay solution this gets rid of toxins increases your energy levels and much more if you want more details visit their facebook page at silver fern aesthetic and vein clinic they're also offering free consultations from dr jackson and their other skincare professionals you can find them in Didsbury across from the train station, or you can give them a call at 403-335-8829. Let's talk about more about that right now. What is, yeah. well, why don't you, what, where, what, where would be the best way to start? The Mito Canada came about by raising awareness for mitochondrial disease. Is that right? 
Yeah. So, I mean, for, from my standpoint, it was like, like literally um, eight years ago when my boy Evan was, was four, perfectly normal kid, um, literally wakes up one morning with a sore stomach, uh, appeared to be appendicitis. We take him to the hospital. Uh, they do an ultrasound on his appendix and they can't see it. So they thought it had either ruptured or uh, was hidden behind another organ. And they, they suggested removing it. So they wheel him into surgery and uh, poor little dude looks at me square in the eyes and he says, Daddy, can we play together again sometime? And I just thought that was such a weird thing uh, for him to say. Wheel him in the surgery. They take out his appendix. His appendix was fine. Uh, he slipped into a coma, didn't wake up for a week, and suffered a severe brain injury. And, and he was very unstable for, for months and months and months, started developing seizures, uh, and we just didn't know what was going on. They, they initially diagnosed him with a, uh, with a type of encephal, encephalomyelitis that uh, is kind of like your, your, your immune system packs the brain, right? And, but it took a year for us to get him stabilized. He started developing seizures and kind of trying to treat seizures to the point where we could do some more invasive testing. And once we did that invasive testing, it, it indicated he had a mitochondrial disease. And so at that point in time, the doctor that gives us that news says, you know, it looks like your son has mitochondrial disease. And we're like, well, what's mitochondrial disease? Had never heard of it. And he pointed us to an organization in the U.S. called the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation uh, that puts on an annual conference uh, and has a, a part of that conference that's focused on, on parents and the support component. Because at that time, there was no organization in Canada that provided awareness or support for families with, with mitochondrial disease. So from there, I went and I attended that conference, met some other families, and we said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had something like this back in Canada? So when we got back, we sort of made it a, a, a pact to, to, to get back on the on the phone and, and talk about creating something. So we did over a period of time after that. Um, every Sunday night, we'd get on the phone. We'd talk about, you know, could we be a chapter of this organization? Well, if we're going to be a, a standalone uh, organization, and, and want to issue tax receipts, so, you know, we, we've got to be registered with CRA. So anyway, Mito Canada evolved out of that with a, with kind of three objectives. One was to, to, to raise awareness for the cause. Uh, the second one was to provide support for families. And third was to, um, to raise money to fund research for better therapies and, and hopefully for a cure one day. So that was that was kind of how, how it all started. We, like I said, we had never heard of uh, the disease so there was that whole discovery of, okay, what is this? What does it mean? What's the prognosis for Evan? Um, yeah, and that was that's where it all started. What, what specifically is it? When someone says to you, you know, what's mitochondrial disease, what do you tell them? Yeah, so basically it's a disease that affects the, uh, the cell's ability to produce energy. So all of our cells, except for red blood cells, have mitochondria and mitochondria is what takes the food we eat and when it gets broken down chemically and absorbed in in our body um, it's the mitochondria that turns that energy into atp in our cells and that's what powers our cells so for people who have this disease their mitochondria they either have less mitochondria or their mitochondria doesn't function properly so their cells get taxed to be able to produce enough energy to to function, and if enough cells are impacted in a specific organ, then obviously it can af affect uh, the the impact of, of that organ and its ability to function. 
and it tends to affect more the energy intensive organs things like you know the brain you know the you know the muscular system the heart gi system that type of thing how common is this so it's about one in four thousand, and so that's one of the misconceptions with this disease. It's a, oh, it's a rare disease, but it's you know similar to say cystic fibrosis, which most people know of. Um, but the challenge is because people who have mitochondrial disease, they don't just present in any one given way. Um, you know, there's there's over a thousand mutations that can cause a mitochondrial disease, and it's such a very broad spectrum of how one presents from someone who could just be kind of like lacking energy and and kind of more chronic fatigue like symptoms to someone like evan who suffers a severe um energy blockout and a brain injury as a result you know and becomes a a quadriplegic and and you know and struggles to to thrive you know so how can someone i guess how how can someone get tested or, or have a better idea that this is something they may have yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Um, and there's a couple a couple ways. I mean, uh, I'd say the number one way is if someone uh, w- what happens is uh, well, it's estimated that less than ten percent of the people actually have the disease even know it. So they're being treated for symptoms of, you know, it could be GI issues, or it could be a heart issue, or it could be a brain injury, where they're being treated for, like I said, the, the symptom. But the root cause of that has not been determined. So for people who have ongoing issues, and you probably know if someone's got some weird kind of funky metabolic genetic stuff going on that just can't be explained, I I think being referred to see a metabolics doctor uh, is a first step. So they can get the testing done. So there's a multiple tests that are done through like an MRI, uh, um, a muscle microscopy. Um, there's uh, you know there's there's several other tests that are done. You know, looking at blood work and these types of things, and they kind of piece together um, you know information from all of those tests to look at um, you know whether or not somebody uh, has a mitochondrial disease, and then they can zone in on testing uh, the precise to, to determine the precise gene that's mutated that's causing that so the the exciting part about the diagnostics component i mean that's very call that the analog method right i mean it takes multiple pieces of information to be put together to kind of tell that story um but what's really exciting now is the advancement of genetics and next next uh, next generation dna sequencing now that we've sequenced the whole human genome um the cost to do uh sequencing is is fractions of the cost of what it was even just 10 years ago so uh, next gen sequencing you'll be able to take a you know a drop of blood or or a swab you know from you know of saliva and be able to test that and sequence all those thousand genes and and be able to diagnose a lot quicker than than we've been able to in the past so you guys your organization mito canada is raising money for research around doing stuff like this you bet, yeah. So, yeah, so approximately I think 30 to 50 percent of the, the funds that Mito Canada uh, has raised has been, been channeled towards uh, uh, the research side of things. It's, I don't know what our numbers are, but it's, it's over half a million dollars that we've channeled towards uh, uh, research in the last uh, five, six years. And, and supporting like local projects here as well through the Alberta Children's Hospital on helping develop and advance the, the next-gen DNA sequencing diagnostics. And, and one of the challenges too, when you think about bringing new 
technologies like there's no gold standard established of you know what's the protocol of how we actually test a sample so it's a lot of work that has to go into creating sort of that uh that consistent approach because um, if you've got you know one hospital hospital that tests this way and another hospital that tests this way and they each get different results well which one is is correct so there's a lot of it was sort of in the early stages of, of that but uh uh, yeah, we're supporting uh, the advancement of the diagnostics here at the uh, Alberta Children's Hospital using that, those techniques, uh, as well as uh, some research as well through uh, University of Calgary that's looking at stem cells and its ability to, uh, um, to, you know, to help uh, understand mitochondrial function and, and how stem cells could potentially um, uh, help that on that front as well. And, Lots of other research projects out east with uh, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky out of, out of Hamilton um, and, and other projects, uh, I think, out of, out of Quebec as well and Ontario. And how, how directly are you involved? Do you get to, I don't know if it's, a, uh, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I mean, yeah. you as a parent, as someone who's concerned, as someone that helps raise money, how directly involved yeah. are you in, in, the, in the research end of helping them i guess helping them out yeah um so what we what we did was so so my, so my role within mito canada was you know i was you know one of the founders and and i, I chaired the board up until uh september uh, 2015 so I, i've stepped back from the board now and just acting as more of an advisor to the board and, and an ambassador for you know for team mito canada but uh from the research standpoint we set up a, a research committee uh and they would uh put together an RFP on an annual basis and solicit uh, projects from, from universities and researchers um, with, you know, with basic criteria that's spelled out of what we're looking to achieve. So we sort of had like a, um, yeah, this committee that would oversee that. And, and really other than, um, so from my standpoint and, and the board standpoint, we would allocate it, you know, X number of dollars towards uh, grants that year. And then we would look to the research committee to make recommendations on, on what type of projects we should pursue and, and how we go about that. And we would basically just approve that as a board. All right, so I just want to take a moment to tell you about the tire shop here in Olds. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not really a car person. I wouldn't be the first to fix, well, anything. <laughs> so that's why I trust some a company like the tire shop. When I bring my car in there, I always know that it's going to get quality service. I really love the customer service. It's, it's bar none. They treat you like family. And this is a family-run business for 40 years. So they're definitely doing something right. And they're not just just a tire company so they do oil brakes tune-ups your battery wheel alignment they do all kinds of different things to service your car and now that winter's on the way it's definitely a good time to get your car checked out have someone that you trust and, and believe in and to support the community as well as a local tire shop you can reach them at 403-556-7660 or if you want to stop in they're at 5903 imperial way right behind napa you guys are doing all kinds of different things with your your running. Tell me about tell me about raising money or raising awareness when you go on one of your long runs. Why don't you tell us about some of your runs? Because yeah. I know you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it started with uh, 
you know, a number of years ago, we're, we're going to actually it was a ski race. The, the world masters cross country ski championships were in sovereign Lake BC. And a friend of mine said, Hey, you know, maybe we should get like a Mito kit done up because we had just started Mito Canada at that point. Uh, you know, and we'll be like skiing billboards with people at see Mito Canada and ask, Hey, what is it? So that just snowballed from, from, Hey, let's get a, a running, you know, singlets to let's get a, a cycling kit set up. So, cause you know, you know, our circle of friends were very active and out doing races all over the place. Uh, and then it, it, I met a guy by the name of, of Kyle McLaughlin and he's a, he's an eMERGE doc who lives in, in Canmore. Uh, and, and it was a race that a friend of mine was putting on there in support of Mito Canada, uh, Tony Smith from, from uh, Grizzly Mountain Events there to help raise money for Mito Canada. And I met Kyle there and Kyle said, you know, he had young kids. Here he is a doctor, knows very little about the disease. He's like, hey, I want to help. So he came on board and kind of just really sort of kind of uh, help formulate what we've what we've called Team Mito Canada, and uh, and started you know looking at what events that people were doing and that type of thing. So that just kind of snowballed. We just wanted to get as many people out there wearing that gear at races, and and within you know two years we had over 300 people across Canada who were running and racing in triathlons and ski races and running races and bike races wearing this gear, and it just kind of just you know, went like wildfire across uh, the sporting community, which is really cool. Uh, so from there, um, we're having, you know, great success with this. And we thought, okay, how can we scale this even more? And then along came the Calgary Marathon had, uh, they have a charity challenge. So uh, any charity can sign up to be part of the charity challenge. So we signed up, you know, four or five years ago as, as Mito Canada. Uh, we thought it's a great way to draw more people in to hopefully want to run for, for our charity. Uh, and we had great success. We raised like $25,000 and it was so easy compared to putting on our own events. Like, I don't know if you've ever put on an event, but it's a lot of work, right? <laughs> so if you look at return for the effort, we're like, oh, this is great. And then uh, I realized that they have every year they feature two charities. And I thought, wow, I mean, you know, if we could be a feature charity, it'd be awesome. I mean, they do so much promotion out there for your charity and what you're about. Uh, and I thought that would be fantastic. So we put together a proposal and we got, you know, so the following year in 2013, we became a feature charity. So from there, it was like, okay, um, what can we do that's above and beyond just showing up with a bunch of people running, you know, in the same color T-shirt that can help us raise awareness? So the guys that I run with, again, every Sunday we're out doing our long run, you know, yeah, talking about, you know, whatever comes up. But it's a great way to, you know, to, to spitball some ideas. And one of the guys like, hey, you know, we should do something really neat at the marathon. And, you know, maybe we tie ourselves together and run in the centipede there's just races in the u.s where they do that and you know let's let's try and go for a guinness world record so one of the guys started digging and they found that there was a record for the fastest marathon by a linked team so you know if there was five guys tied together so uh, we looked into it made an application to guinness and uh and they uh, they said yep we, you guys can you can do a, a, a an attempt here you just need a minimum of five people. You can have as many as you want, and all you have to do is be tied together. And there's a whole bunch of rules, but uh, you, you basically run the entire marathon tied together. So we thought, okay, we had ten people who were 
who were interested in doing this and uh, we, we pulled ourselves together and we went for it and managed to pull off getting the Guinness world record. And it was insane, Drew, like just, it was so <laughs> moving, you know, just can you imagine, you know, we ran a, it was a two fifty five marathon. So it was, uh, so it wasn't a snail's pace by any means. And, uh, <laughs> and, and logistics, you know, of, of running, you know, tied together, stopping for pee breaks. <laughs> I tell you, it was hilarious. <laughs> You know, navigating corners and but uh it was it was very special and it really you know brought this group of folks together and and you know since then we've just been you know met guys like dave proctor who you know want to get involved and it's really just sort of captivated the local running community um to to want to do something to make a difference All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the show. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed that show. Before I let you go, I want to mention a few of our longtime sponsors. We have Shoppers Drug Mart here in Olds, very community-orientated. They're always supporting local, and we so much appreciate their support. So again, Shoppers Drug Mart here in Olds. We have AG Foods in Didsbury, again, very community-orientated. They're bringing healthier foods to our community, which I feel is so important to our health. So you can check out AG Foods in Didsbury. We also have Health Street here in Olds. They have some of the highest health standards in Canada. They have all kinds of education going on there. So if you have any questions, you can visit them at the store. You can sign up some for some of their events as well, or you can find them at lo- online at, at healthstreet.ca. So if you found some motivation that you want to try our free 10-day workout challenge, all you have to do is head over to trueformlife.com on the main page. You can find links and more information to join It's absolutely free. All you do is enter in your email address. So we're going to send you a brand new workout each day for 10 days. No equipment, all full body weight exercises. And you get a brand new workout each day along with a health and wellness tip to help you succeed. So once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com. Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia would not be possible without the help of GDK Gravel and Sand. GDK Gravel and Sand, now offering all products in half and one yard bags. Give them a call today for more information. 1-877-335-2091.